Hymn to Beauty by Charles Baudelaire O beauty, do you visit from the sky or the abyss, infernal and divine? Your gaze bestows both kindnesses and crimes, so it is said you act on us like wine. Your eye contains the evening and the dawn, you pour out odours like an evening storm. Your kiss is potion from an ancient jar that can make heroes cold and children warm. In the 11th season of this podcast, we'll be exploring some great works of literature that have something to impart to us about the nature, importance, and dangers of beauty. Okay, so check out Nietzsche's New Year's resolution. I want to tell you what I have wished for myself today. I want to learn more and more to see as beautiful what is necessary in things. Then I shall be one of those who makes things beautiful. Amor fati. Let that be my love henceforth. I don't want to wage war against what is ugly. I don't want to accuse. Looking away shall be my only negation. And all in all, someday, I wish to be only a yes-sayer. Wow. Couldn't we all use a few more resolutions like that? This is the wisdom of... And this is episode two, Baudelaire's The Flowers of Evil. remember when probably 10 years ago give or take a comedian uh, Harris Whittles coined the phrase uh, humble brag and I was thinking about that but uh, kind of wishing for something else like that something humble brag adjacent a word for a brag that absolutely fails to impress anybody I'm always boasting at least in my own mind that for nearly every episode we do, that I've read the book a couple of times even, which if this could be considered a job, it's kind of like a veterinarian saying, dogs, cats, I, I can totally tell the difference. But once again, this episode, I am the vet who can't. Previous poetry episodes have, have shown it, and today's no exception. I don't think I'd read any Baudelaire poems until five days ago. So I'm just going to assume that he wrote mostly limericks. So I decided to give that a shot too. Okay. With poetry, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I'm woefully unaware. Didn't go buy the book or give yours a look. So tell me about Charles Baudelaire. Wow. uh, Who knew you were such a poet? I mean, that little poem was almost on par with your, your stick drawings and your signature. Okay, so tell you about Baudelaire? Sure, let's, let's do that. So Charles Baudelaire was a, a French poet and an art critic who was born in 1821. His most famous work, published in 1857, 
was, well, the flowers of evil. And due to the explicit sensuality of some of his poems in there, at the time, sections of the work were, were ordered to be removed on the grounds of obscenity, which basically meant that one was attacking public morality. The Flowers of Evil explores, among other things, the good, the bad, and the ugly of modern city life. It's undoubtedly one of the most consequential, controversial, and influential books of poetry from the 19th century. And it is all this because because Baudelaire essentially revolutionized the content and the subject matter of poetry. Baudelaire himself struggled with poor health and melancholia throughout his adult life, and died young at the age of 46 in the arms of his mother. Many people wistfully wish to be able to to travel back in time to an era they perceive as being so much better than today. Like, like being able to march alongside Alexander the Great or being on the ground during the French Revolution or often going back to ancient Greece and being able to sit at the knee of, of Socrates. First of all, bad news, that wouldn't be you. You'd be the guy shoveling manure if you were sent back to that time, not becoming a, a grand interlocutor. Second, I don't know how fun it would be to talk with good old Socrates. Like, if he made Venn diagrams, it would just be infinite circles piled on top of each other. There's no happiness without virtue, no virtue without morality, no morality without philosophy, and no beauty without any of those things, I think. And I'd venture, how about this? I'd be on the receiving end of whatever the ancient version of Socrates destroyed time-traveling dullard. But since we still have our imaginary time machine, let's instead go back to the mid-1800s in Paris. Let's ditch philosophy for a second, maybe seek out a poet and see if we can separate morality from beauty. I'd, I'd love to go back to Paris in the mid-1800s. And yeah, I, you know what? I think we can find a poet there who's willing to make that separation. Okay, so first, for Baudelaire, beauty, broadly speaking, is just something excessive and something that, that can't be bound nor tamed. I mean, for example, in one of his poems, he asks whether beauty is from heaven or hell and then concludes, who cares? In either case, it's a monster. In other words, it's just a, a primordial force that bowls us over and devours us. And not only this, but we see here that the source of beauty, whether it's heaven or hell, doesn't matter. In other words, and this is to your point, beauty isn't limited by morality. No, for, for Baudelaire, bad and unclean things are not fenced off from the domain of beauty and poetry. And that's pretty obvious, because when he talks about beautiful things, he often plunges into the dirt and the darkness. Now, in all of this, I actually think that Baudelaire is in part challenging Plato. I mean, it's suggestive that in one of his poems, he calls the Greek philosopher the austere Plato. So, I think that he's basically reacting against Plato, and I think he's doing it in at least three ways. One, 
he's saying that beauty is not always something pure. Two, he's saying that beauty is not always linked to goodness. And three, he seems to be suggesting that beauty is not something that has to be marked by a kind of harmony or proportion. And here I mean the content of the poetry, not its architecture or form. Okay, so let's take the point about purity first. And this is something that we've discussed before in previous episodes. So for Plato, beauty is um, a metaphysical entity, and it's free from physical imperfection and corruption. It's an immaterial, eternal, and immutable idea. Now, for Baudelaire, beauty is not like this at all. For him, beauty is something like um, spirit-made flesh. And that's significant because it means that for him, decay and corruption is a part of it, like it is in his famous decomposing carrion. In other words, beauty can be most beautiful at its moment of passing away. Okay, now the, the second point about beauty being connected to morality or goodness, which was, which was your point. So what Plato believed was that beauty, truth, and goodness form a sort of triad. That is, that beauty is always linked with the true and the good, in such a way that to know real beauty is to awaken the virtues. It's to become a better person. So here too, I think Baudelaire clearly disagrees with Plato. I mean, he even says it explicitly in one of his essays. He says, The union between beauty, truth, and goodness is an invention of philosophical nonsense. So, beauty just doesn't yield to moral expectations. No, because beauty's marked by pure excess, it transgresses moral boundaries. It just doesn't obey any laws or rightful directions. Actually, in his poem, Hymn to Beauty, the one that we played in the introduction to the episode, Baudelaire seems to compare beauty to the effects of drinking wine. Again, what this seems to suggest is that, like intoxication, beauty is a stew of good and evil. It pours out the good and the bad, and it's something that accommodates opposites and contradictory ideas and feelings. And ultimately, what beauty does, as the excessive force that it is, is it burns up and consumes and then exhausts everything, including, well, Baudelaire himself. I mean, I think this is why in one of his poems, he says, My youth has been nothing but a tenebrious storm, pierced now and then by rays of brilliant sunshine. But thunder and rain have wrought so much havoc that very few ripe fruits remain in my garden. So, beauty is not marked by morality and moderation. No, it's a, it's a flaring sun and a burning sunset. And its endgame is a moth to a flame. Okay, well, this leads to the third point. The point that perhaps Baudelaire is also reacting to Plato's view that beauty is something characterized by harmony and proportion. Okay, so Plato in his later dialogue the Timaeus, talks quite a bit about beauty. And there he talks about it in reference to the world, maybe one of the first systematic descriptions of its kind, actually. 
Anyway, he says there that the, the divine craftsman of the world created the world and that it's the most beautiful thing ever made. Now, how did the craftsman make it the most beautiful? Well, he did it by making sure that everything was unified, measured, symmetrical, and harmonious. So, beauty here really is something like um, measure, which of course implies limits. And ultimately, it's also the expression of the rational and the intelligible divine mind. Okay, so now first of all, I don't think Baudelaire thought of the world or nature itself as anything like good or ordered. On the contrary, actually, he thought that Mother Nature was full of transgressions and evil. And what's more, it's often possible to see in his poems a vision of the world deprived of divine order and support. And when it comes to beauty specifically, well, although he clearly values the order and discipline of poetry, I just don't think he understands beauty itself as something completely comprehensible and rational. Instead, I think he sees beauty as ambiguous or mysterious, with a, with a depth that's not entirely intelligible, transparent, or marked by limit. Whether it's the beauty of the ungovernable sea or of strong exotic perfumes, measure, proportion, and clarity just don't seem like the best sorts of descriptions here. Okay, so let me change the topic slightly for a moment. What I want to do now is comment a little on something else that Baudelaire says about beauty. That is, what he says is that beauty always has an element of strangeness to it. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, I think what he means when he says strangeness is something like the sort of individuality or uniqueness that something has because of the environment, climate, and culture in which it was created. So, something is strange, that's to say in part beautiful, because it bears the stamp of its context and source. Now, I think this is an important insight and something worth thinking about more in our world today. I mean, today we have people doing things like whitening their skin, or getting eyelid or various other types of surgery in order to look like what is considered mainstream, or in order to assimilate to a certain type or group. But if beauty is constituted by a kind of strangeness and uniqueness, then there is in this a, a blanching out of beauty, no? In other words, homogenization and conformity seem to stand in opposition to genuine beauty. You know, it's really interesting. When the, when the German philosopher Heidegger talked about art, he talked about it disclosing or opening up a world. And what he meant by this was that art, if it's good, gives off associations of a certain person, their culture, and their, their place in life. One example he used was a, was a painting by Vincent van Gogh, which depicted some simple shoes. Now, for Heidegger, this painting wasn't just about being a representation of some shoes. No, what made it so great was that through it, Van Gogh managed to disclose the world of the peasant farmer. To paraphrase Heidegger, the rugged heaviness of those shoes revealed the toilsome tread of the worker. Okay, so 
what does this have to do with what I was saying before? Well, I think we could maybe make a small connection here between what Heidegger says about art and what Baudelaire says about beauty and strangeness. I mean, maybe by increasingly adopting the same universal features, we are concealing or forfeiting what is most uniquely us, who we are. In other words, maybe what beauty really is, is our own miniature world. It's our historical context and our engravings. So, to conform, to homogenize ourselves then, is just not to let beauty shine through. But now that I think about it, there's another related problem standing in the way of beauty. It's, it's this. Connected to this homogenization is our desperation for smoothly constructed surfaces. That's to say, we take beauty to be all about the, the smooth and the polished. Actually, the, the Irish philosopher, Edmund Burke, believed something like this too. He said something to the effect that you diminish a beautiful object if you give it a, a rugged surface. But again, if we follow Heidegger and Baudelaire, this just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right because things like ruggedness, shallows, seams, and creases, these are all clearly a, a manifestation of a world, of a history, and of a unique character. And so they form part of the texture of genuine beauty. Actually, you know what? Uh, texture's a good word here. I mean, smooth soap bubbles are totally polished and seamless, and so I suppose they're, they're nice. But remember, they're also empty and weightless, and, well, they disclose nothing at all. Apparently, now I'm, I'm hearing tell, or I'm about to hear tell, that beauty, get this, can be found everywhere, even in the common, in what's right in front of you. Looking around, uh, I see a lot of books, a desk, some art on the walls, and, oh, hey, me. So I'm here right in front of you. If my memory serves, one of the nicest things you've called me is ugly but acceptable. But now Baudelaire has possibly opened your eyes. In the purely proverbial platonic sense, do I get the kind of label beauty? Hey, I, I never ignored your beauty. I mean, think about all those terrific profile drawings I, I made of you throughout the years. I mean, how could you forget about those? I'm sure everybody would be quite surprised if they could only see them. Anyway, to, to get to your point, yeah, for, for Baudelaire, everything around us can be appealing and beautiful. Whether it's a, a soldier, a horse carriage, a worm, or the, the so-called filth of modern life. And so he calls out to us to take interest in everything, even those things that we don't like or those things that offend us. So for him, beauty isn't always lofty and idealized like it was for the, for the classical world. Beauty is not just in the light. No, it's also in darkness and decay. Beauty is not just in the divine or the abstract. It's also in the intensity of the carnal. And sometimes it's in the purely diabolical. So, 
Baudelaire's point is not just that beauty can be found almost everywhere, in all corners of life, but it's also that beauty is a a combination of both the particular and the universal. Or maybe more specifically, it's in the interstices between the transitory and the eternal. So ultimately, I think that what Baudelaire wants to do is to get us out of our claustrophobic or inhibited view of aesthetic appreciation, where we usually only take interest in things because they have a certain economic or political value. No, we we shouldn't feel afraid of finding things beautiful that most people find sordid or commonplace. I think this is maybe Baudelaire's greatest effect on many of us. His complete lack of fear and conformity and humiliation is inspiring. It frees us up to look around anew and just appreciate those things that we previously thought unworthy of attention. But yet, here's the thing. So many of us still don't find beauty all around us. And I wonder why that is. Well, one reason might be what I just said, that we tend to reduce things to the economic and to the utilitarian and so tend not to notice those things which fall outside of their scope. But another might be this, that we just don't take the time to notice how damn interesting things are. I mean, maybe that's partly what beauty is. Maybe it's depth or substance. In other words, maybe it's what invites deep or even inexhaustible interpretation. But if that's true then, almost everything qualifies as beautiful, no? I mean, there are layers to everything. We just have to take the time to unearth them. You know what? Now that I think about it, Nietzsche might be helpful here. So one of the things that he says, and he says this in the, in the gay science, is that we have to learn to love. In other words, loving isn't easy or immediate. No, it takes time and effort and most of all, patience. Now, the example he gives is one of coming to love and appreciate the beauty of a different kind of song. So, first of all, to really love this sort of song is to stay with it long enough to get over whatever strangeness it may initially have for us. And then next, it's to listen very closely to all its details and to discern and isolate its parts. And finally, it's to put all of it together and to see and enjoy the beauty of the whole thing in such a way that we could ask for nothing better from the world. Now, I think that Nietzsche, and to some extent Baudelaire, would say that most things in life can and should be approached in just this way. And this is exactly why beauty is potentially everywhere and all around us. We just have to be interested enough to see it, which maybe means in part that we have to be interesting ourselves. So ultimately then, maybe the key to the unveiling of beauty, to the transfiguration of the ordinary, just starts with, well, curiosity.
listening to The Wisdom of Podcasts. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode, The Beauty of Sports.